Everyone faces questions and decisions that require insight and answers as we move forward personally, professionally, and corporately in all areas of this thing we call life in America today. Hello, this is Joe Schofield, and I invite you to tune in every Monday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. as we talk together and hear from key leaders of all ages and backgrounds about your questions. Interesting, informative, intuitive, but always encouraging. Tune us in on BBS Radio Network. Join Pastor Joe and co-hosts Ron Greer, Dr. Paul Hall, Stephanie Thayer, and Dr. Craig Thayer in Raising Expectations. Everyone faces questions and decisions that require insight and answers as we move forward personally, professionally, and corporately in all areas of this thing we call life in America today. Hello, this is Joe Schofield, and I invite you to tune in every Monday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. as we talk together and hear from key leaders of all ages and backgrounds about your questions. Interesting, informative, intuitive but always encouraging. Tune us in on BBS Radio Network. Join Pastor Joe and co-hosts Ron Greer, Dr. Paul Hall, Stephanie Thayer, and Dr. Craig Thayer in Raising Expectations. Well, good evening, friends and neighbors, and we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and wonderful Thanksgiving celebration with your families, and uh, we certainly did with all of our families. Today is a very special day. We have a wonderful guest with us. We're anxious to have him share with you. As you might remember, Dr. Robert Buckingham, he'll be with us in just a bit here. So uh, we're looking forward to the holidays and uh, just for for my good buddy, Craig Thayer, USC1, and uh, we're still excited, so we're on a roll, Craig. But in any event, I want you all to know (laughs) that's a special time. I want to start real quick introducing everybody because we're just getting, we're getting a lot of contact from people and we're so thankful that you're getting back to us. And uh, so I want you to know everybody personally, because we want to be all your friends and family as part of your, uh, your team here at Raising Expectations. And my name is Pastor Joe Schofield. I'm a retired pastor, retired high school principal, uh, international school principal, and this, that, and the other, and God's been good in my life. And now let me tell you about my friends. They are really something else. First of all, my good friend, Dr. Paul Hall, for over 50 years in Longpoke, California. And he's a retired pastor. There he is. He's right there. And he is uh, he is someone who is loved by countless people. He's been a pastor, like I said, a teacher, a professor. And he uh, worked all week 
uh, helping people in his life. He's a very special blessing in my life. Just really get to know Paul. You're going to love it. Now, all the way across the nation to the East Coast, actually the Southeast Coast in Dalton, Georgia, which is up in the corner near South Carolina, near Tennessee, not far from Chattanooga. Chattanooga, if you go to Lookout Mountain, you look down, you can see Alabama. And if you go from Alabama, you will not be far from two of the most wonderful people, Stephanie Thayer and Dr. Craig Thayer. Stephanie's the founder and CEO of Quenching Wells. She's a health and nutrition specialist, and uh, her husband is Dr. Tank. We call him Tank, Craig Thayer. He's a trauma surgeon. He's also uh, an author. His new book, Saves, is coming out. We're going to have two books coming out, hopefully three. In fact, uh, my book that's the third edition on uh, legitimate faith. I'm excited now. I forgot about it, but it's all coming out in the next couple of weeks now, Craig. We're kind of excited. But Craig's book, Saved, Brand new book coming out. So excited. We were privileged to write a few words in there about him. And uh, you're going to read in Legitimate Faith all about all these people because I wrote about them. So uh, you be watching with that. We're going to have him share a little bit about that. We're going to be with you at a big time at Christmas. All of us sharing with all of you why we love the season of Christmas. And uh, we're very, very excited not to waste time. But in a few days, we get to have fudge on the weekends. So we're excited about that. So that's coming up. So also from south east part of the United States, I get to think about fudge and I lose my track here. But um, going back from Fudgeville all the way to the center of the city, Craig, I can't eat a lot because I watched Craig's great video today on uh, how men need to, we need to take care of ourselves better. We'd have a little bit. But anyway, in Central America, in the great state of Texas, we have in the great city of McKinney, our, one of our favorite pastors in the world, uh, Pastor Ron Greer, who works with Man in the Mirror based out of Florida, helping people to, helping guys to understand who they are and, and to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ron is, uh, yeah, call me, yes, right. Ron, Ron is, uh, Ron is, uh, Ron's honest. He's just on it. That's all I need. We just have a great time. So we are your family. And so somebody said to me just about a week or so ago, who, who you know, who are those guys? They're like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. They said, who are those guys, remember? So you know them now. We're family. You just get to know everybody that way. And uh, Ron, uh, we just love and appreciate this whole team. And we're very, very excited about uh, our guest being with us tonight, who just closed after the holiday weekend. Uh, his practice, and uh, Craig could say a few words about closing a practice. That's a lot, but after after the holiday season here, he's a, he is a very very renowned uh, doctor. He is a professor. He's a teacher. He's a research specialist. He's up for all kinds of different awards. I want to go into them. He wrote on the free radicals and the system, the blood system, and he ties it all to his relationship with God and realizing that God made a masterpiece when he created all of us and how he made us work. It's just a miracle, and it's amazing to see how that all comes together. So uh, he's going to be checking in with us real quick here, all the way from Ojai, California. (laughs) So I'm thinking where that was, Ron. Oh, hi. Everybody's friendly there. They walk down the streets. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Everybody knows everybody in this city. So they have a good time together. It's not too far away from Lompoc. So in any event, uh, um, Greg, you read a little bit about, uh, no, you know what? Just before he gets here, Craig, tell us another word about your book. Don't you think, guys? Let's have him share just a word about your book because it's coming really quick. We're going to share more. Yeah, well, let me, let me first thank you. He's here. For, for writing a forward. So 
that's huge for me. So um, it, it's been an idea for over 15 years, really couldn't come to a culmination until August 7th when my grandmother passed away because it's dedicated to her. She really encouraged me. She got to read some of the early drafts of the chapters and found out things about me that she didn't know, which is really cool. And she read it to her caregiver, Raina, who was a super lady. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's purely about, I mean, the one word would be hope. It's about miracles that I have seen in retrospect or concurrently in my life as a trauma surgeon. Um, I've got pictures to show some of the things I can't be explained. Uh, just, yeah, it's, it's, so that's the bottom line. It's about those things. And the purpose is for me to do what I get to do right now, which is be on stage with you guys and bring hope to this world that's divided uh, to hopefully unite mankind. We all bleed the same. There you go, blood. Should be an order. <laughs> And you do it well, Craig. You do it well each and every day. I love to follow you there on Facebook and the things that you and Steph do. And uh, today was great. Enjoyed hearing you, you share today on that. Well, we're going to be looking forward to that. We're going to be premiering it, hopefully sharing more about it in December. And, uh, hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, we're privileged right now to have with us, <laughs> if he can catch his breath. This has been quite a Monday after the holidays. Doctor, <laughs> tell them about that. And I know they line up at the door there in Ohio to get you to, to help them and to work with them. And I know you take good care of me. Doctor, uh, I simply want to say that, uh, and to, to give a quote that you said to me, he has a unique presentation prepared on addictions. And boy, do we know we need to hear some of that today, what's going on in the world and in our nation today with fentanyl and everything else that's happening. So uh, Dr. Buckingham, we sure appreciate you. We love you as a doctor, as our friend, and welcome to Raising Expectations. And we want to bring him on with a round of applause. And Thank welcome. you. Thank Take you. <laughs> wow. So... Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I love the format of question and answer, but let me just start out by saying that when it comes to addictions, uh, it's a very clear, you reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are no shortcuts and there, are no, there aren't any easy answers when you start getting into the addiction line of fire. Uh, and my, my sense is that addictions begin quite early. They, mm -hmm. they can actually start in utero, uh, depending upon... Uh, what the mother is smoking or drinking or using, uh, the, the process of addiction can begin uh, at that expression. Uh, it can continue in the early years, uh, even without uh, the use of, or abuse of drugs. Uh, you know, with our sugared cereals and our, our sugared baby foods and uh, our highly processed white flour foods, uh, the addiction actually continues to be to to manifest itself, and then as we move into adolescence, uh, and then when we start trying things, uh, it becomes a natural process when we kind of slide over from uh, the sugared cereals and the breads and the pastas and the and the uh, all the uh, highly refined white flour into more sophisticated uh, abuses like alcohol. And so we, we just kind of continue to 
to process addictions as, as we move on. And so alcohol then leads to the possibility of other addictions. So I haven't mentioned cigarettes, but they're oftentimes tried in the uh, teen years. Uh, and then, of course, alcohol and then other addictions start popping up or you start using uh, other uh, other drugs as you lose uh, inhibition. So it's kind of like one thing leads to another. And in my books, I talk about how these drugs can uh, or, or uh, addictions can can auto populate with each other. So then you have a kind of like a multi-chemical addiction uh, situation where the user isn't really aware of how chemically interdependent they have become. So you end up maybe uh, drinking a little alcohol, taking a sleeping pill, uh, looking for something to come up, looking for something to come down. And then the, then you start having more pain and you're looking for pain management. And so opioids come into the picture. So you can see where you develop this anxiolytic, stimulant, alcohol. It's just kind of like the, a process. So on the, the problem with addictions is that you're, you, you develop tolerance to this stuff. So as, the, as you look for pleasure, the pleasure response becomes less uh, lengthy and less intense, and the painful response of withdrawal becomes increasing and, and, and more prolonged. So you have to use more and more of the substance to get less and less of the pleasure that you're looking for. Uh, and that's, that's, that's how the addiction cycling becomes uh, basically non-operative. You, you, you end up in a, in a, in a backed into a corner. Mm. Well, I was reading somewhere, maybe you, you probably have dealt with this helping guys, Ron, that like Finland, what's happening today, that it's 50, and I think I read this, but I'm not a doctor, 50 to 100 times more powerful than heroin itself when it comes to uh, its effect and what it can do. Even the residue left on things can cause uh, people to, uh, to die. Yeah. So you're talking about kind of end stage things, but really what I'm, what I want to get in here is the subtleties of, of addictions. You know, we, we start out with maybe a glass of wine or a beer or a one and a half ounces of an after dinner drink or something. And we, we, we get used to it and we, we, we start incorporating more and more of this into our daily lives uh, it's just kind of a, it becomes a reflex. And what happens is we, we need more of it to get the same benefit. So mm. this is, this is how, what I call addiction creep. It just, uh, it, it just becomes part of our behavior. And here's the problem. Once we decide or realize that we're addicted and we need to come off, not only is it hard to stop the addiction, it's hard to reverse the behavior, but I'm, I believe there's a longer term problem that's going on in the brain that has actually conditioned the brain cells into a certain type of behavior that now we require. It's kind of mm. like we've gotten stuck with alcohol. We come off of, off of alcohol. We no longer feel like we need to do alcohol, but then the brain is requiring something to to take its place. Mm -hmm. And that's, 
that's where the real problem starts. Uh, and I, I'm not even going into the reverberations of depression and anxiety and how, and how these addiction substances can actually make these problems worse. Well, but, I, actually, Doc, that leads me to my question. I was going to ask a question and ask you to go into that. <laughs> but I will. Uh, but you did touch on that one thing. Uh, as Joe mentioned, I spent a number of years working with drug, drug addicts. Uh, but I think that's one of the things that people miss. It, it's not simply an act, uh, a physical act of taking something, and, and sugar also might include, I might add, but it, the, the brain chemistry changes. Yes. Can you give us a little bit of uh, explanation of how that changes and then what that changes behavior and that sort of mechanism, how that fits together? So once we start the, down the addiction pathway and we start, I don't know. It could be alcohol. It could be marijuana. It could be a stimulant of some kind. And we come to the realization, oh, my God, we have we're addicted. We've got to somehow either continue the addiction or try to come off. Mm -hmm. And when we come off the addiction, uh, some things happen that are not pleasant. Uh, Even after withdrawal, we have a void in our brain. Mm -hmm. Uh, the void that where the addiction was, we have now a series of psychological issues that come up. Some of some of it involves anxiety, some of it involves uh, self worth, some of it involves a uh, feeling of uh, inadequacy. But a lot of it has to do with finding something to substitute for what we were addicted to. Yes. So uh, oftentimes, let's say it's alcohol, we'll jump to something in the sugar realm. Uh, thinking, you know, sugar is okay. So, you know, maybe something sweet will be okay. Or, or something that's, uh, you know, maybe a piece of bread with jelly on it. You know, you know, what I'm trying to say is there is a complex series of situations that come up that we we don't necessarily relate to the addiction, but they're outcomes to what the addiction has, has produced. Mm. So as a health coach, uh, the number one struggle that people tell me about is anxiety. And it it went through the roof when COVID happened. And then when it comes to food or drink, the number one is alcohol and the number two is sugar. And they're very closely related, right? And people really, really struggle. Our society has such an acceptance of alcohol and the way it is marketed and, you know, it's like for my demographic, it's called mommy juice. Like it is marketed to us. And if you actually look at what it does, the number of deaths, domestic violence, alcohol is horrific compared to all the other drugs in the market and, and what it actually does to a society. And ironically, it causes anxiety. So well, let me, you're absolutely correct. Let me. I, I do some work with some uh, NFL ex NFL football players, and um, you know they're oftentimes they're overweight and they've got sleep apnea. But what I find interesting is that typically these guys will will drink, uh, not necessarily during the season, but maybe in the off season or maybe on when they're not in uh, not playing. But sometimes they drink when they're playing. But here's what's interesting. So they'll knock down two or three or four shots or five. And then what happens is they get into that habit. Then they find themselves anxious 
and then they can't sleep. So what do they do? They'll start smoking some marijuana. So now they're, they're doing alcohol. They're doing marijuana. The marijuana is not actually helping their sleep. It's helping them fall asleep, but it's not helping the sleep efficiency or the sleep quality. So they're becoming increasing because their sleep is impaired. They're becoming increasingly more uh, anxious or more depressed. Uh, they have a shorter fuse. Uh, all these things are, but they're not necessarily connecting it to alcohol where, where, where they're seeing that the alcohol is kind of the a, a relaxation thing that they absolutely, that they require. What I'm saying is, the alcohol seems to have both subliminal and direct and indirect consequences that will then cause other things to happen to us in kind of a reverberating cycle that we just kind of get involved with. So that now when you continue to drink, your pain thresholds uh, increase. So now you've got more pain in your bodies. There's more, you feel more muscle achiness. So now you've got to deal with that. It's, it's, it's just like a cycle. And, Mm -hmm. The problem is when you try to break these things, you end up with a cascading void in your brain that takes quite some time to to resolve. It's not simple. Yeah. But I think I think uh, just given my experience with families and, and friends and, and my own family as well, I've uh, two brothers uh, who are uh, addicted to drugs. You know, probably a thirty-year struggle. Uh, another yeah. uncle. And then the people are work also. Probably one of the reasons I got involved with it. But it I think that's one of the things hard for family members to understand. To them, it's just a matter of stop doing it, just stay away from it, and then you'll 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 be okay. And but the idea of being that sort of brain uh activity and the brain chemistry changes, and then even the um uh sort of the habits you get into, like you mentioned that cycle, right? So yep. you have this 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 you risk or try it or some kind of need you take it there's this uh reward for you know once you do it then there's this sense of pleasure and then this euphoria they have and yep. then they come out of that but you know those cycles go over and over again if i stop taking the drug if i stop getting high okay then how what do i replace that with so I, I think you hit, hit on that right on the head that's people don't understand this it's not a simple just walking away if you've rewired your brain you have rewired your brain, yeah. and it's not necessarily rewired to your advantage. Yes. Right. It's to yes. your disadvantage. Yes. 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 And boy, I'll tell you what, that's where God's help comes into play. Uh, we talk about Absolutely. higher power. Yeah. Uh, all of this is important because there are, there are voids that are created when you stop the addiction, and they are big, and they're complex, yeah. and... Uh, a lot of, I will say nine times out of 10, the, the response to the, the void is wrong. Yeah. It's, it's the wrong answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, yeah. it, 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 any opinion on why they, they make the wrong decisions? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so this addiction problem is, it starts in utero it's 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 continued through our through our our, our young at youth and adolescence and basically we're setting up our kids uh for for variety of based on what we're eating and what we're doing we're setting them up to, to actually nurture an alcohol or a drug habit and so 
my sense is we've got a lot of adjustments to do, and it starts really with the innocence of baby food. It really starts yeah. there. We've got to take another look at that. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sorry, sort of hog the time here. Could you uh, address the issue of, of sugar addiction and the, how the, the widespread addiction in our society? You mentioned starting at babies in utero and, and also with children. I, I, I really think people don't grasp uh, how powerful an addiction that is and how widespread it is on top of that. So, uh, well, but, we, but you, you mentioned we started children. You touch on that a little bit more? So sugar is interesting. Um, there are many different types of simple sugars. There's the sucrose or the table sugar. Uh, there's the very sweet fructose or fructose corn syrup, which is uh, 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 engineered. Uh, there's maltose. There's galactose uh, sugars, which don't have as much of a sweet taste to them. Uh, there's sorbitol sugars. Uh, there's alcohol sugars. Uh, so you've got all of these different sugars. And what's interesting is uh, you can take, for example, sucrose, and that will give you a subliminal desire for maybe some fructose or lactose, which is in uh, dairy products, or yeah. galactose. So all of a sudden, now, just by taking the sucrose, you're now interested in other types of simple sugars subliminally. Mm. So now all of a sudden that, let's say it's uh, you're putting sugar on your cereal, which is also a highly sugared uh, substance, white flour. And now you're interested maybe in having a little yogurt or uh, uh, maybe some, uh, some some kind of a dairy product with, with lactose in it. Um, or you're interested in maybe uh, some pasta or, or some bread or, or some cereal. In other words, the sugar situation is not just something that we put on our uh, put in a spoon or we put in our coffee or we put on our cereal. It's an extra, it's an extrapolation of a wide variety of different types of simple uh, carbohydrates mm -hmm. and they all are interactive with each other. They all produce a subliminal desire for more of that group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd like to speak to this for a second too. So sugar is, more addictive than cocaine. And I actually have a PET scan on my phone. I show it to clients all the time. It stimulates the same areas of your brain, but much higher in sugar. And like the doctor was saying, there are a lot of the readily available cheap foods are so processed, so broken down. So pasta, for example, if you do it al dente, it's not quite as bad, but if you really make it soft, which is what most kids want, you know, you boil it extra long, it becomes more sugary. And some of them are worse than table sugar. You might as well put a bowl of table sugar in front of your child and parents don't know. And I, as a mama of very busy boys, I adamantly believe that a lot of the ADHD diagnoses yes, are because yes. of how we feed our kids right? Yep. If we actually oh. fed them well. And so I'm, oh. it does lead to all these other decisions that we make in life, right? I do. Absolutely. Categorically correct. You could, I couldn't have said it better. That's absolutely correct. So sugar is a big problem. It is highly addictive. Um, and it, uh, by the way, the thing you didn't mention right here is that 
sugar in contrast to fat and protein does not uh, suppress satiety. So there's always room for a dessert. There's always room for an after dinner drink. There's always room for a cookie. Uh, and you don't get filled up when you have a dessert or a cookie. It's just like, give me more. I need more of it. Oh yeah, exactly. Boogie monster. The other other interesting fact about <laughs> and processed wheats or flour um, is their glycemic index. So you take the equivalent sugar and your glucose should be around 80 normally, it'll go up to about 120. It'll peak. If you take a processed wheat or flour and you have the same equivalent. It goes up to like 180, and if it's more processed, it's more like a time release, so it doesn't quite peak as high, but it's longer. It's pretty crazy. Mm. Uh, you bring up an interesting point, and I bring this up in all of my books. Uh, let's take that same uh, dose of sugar. In a 20-year-old, the blood sugar might go from 100 to 130 or 140 and then back down again within an hour. You take that same dose of sugar in someone our age, and the blood sugar goes up to 180 to 200, maybe even 220 or 240, stays there for four to six hours, and then just gradually goes back down. So you can imagine that that sugar elevation is also producing more advanced glycation end products, uh, more insulin resistance, more LDL cholesterol, more triglyceride more homocysteine, more lipoprotein little a, more apolipoprotein B. So all of these inflammatory free radicals are incentivized as we get older when we eat sugar. And I Always the bad news, guys, Doc. Always the bad news. encourage <laughs> <laughs> you guys to, to look at nutrition labels, like just experiment the next time you go to the grocery store, flip over whatever package. Lunch meat has sugar in it. I know Ron's covering his eyes. It is, it is added to so many things that it doesn't need to be in, which then makes you want more of it. See the cycle. The the other other one is you think you're being healthy because you're buying a low fat yogurt. They add sugar to it. Make the calories the same. How can the calories be the same? You took out 20% of the fat. It should be 20% or higher because fat's high, you know, high density. More caloric. Yeah. But no, it's the same calories because they've added sugar. I don't know if you guys remember the 90s when they all went, you know, fat free. And that meant that sugar was added into everything. And there was this great book my aunt had called Sugar Busters. And I remember thinking she was crazy that she didn't want to have sugar. And uh, she was ahead of her time for sure. She's super healthy, by the way, today. So she was on to something. Well, you know, I, 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 my theory is uh, it's both a marketing tool and also you process certain things and take things out. It doesn't taste very well. You put preservative in, it screws yeah. the taste up, add sugar to it. It covers everything. It makes right. everything well, taste better. <laughs> well, we get used to that. We get used to that addiction of mm-hmm. sugar. Um, we get used to the salt. We get used to these sorts of things. What I'm trying to teach my kids as they were growing up is, Go out to the garden and pick some garlic, pick some oregano, uh, pick some sage. Mix that into the uh, to the meal, and that 
creates a richer experience. You don't need all the sugar. You don't need the salt. You don't need all that other extra stuff. It's by the, by the way, you bring up an interesting point. We actually develop a uh, uh, an appetite for sugar. We actually, the more we we eat, the more we want, mm-hmm. and the more that we crave that yeah. that processing. Processing mm-hmm. begats itself. So the more the more that we eat that stuff, the more we want this stuff. The more we think up up in our brain that this is what tastes good. Yeah. Uh, we, but we have to. What we have to do is we we have to relearn. Basically, all of the stuff that was going on fifty to hundred years ago, we have to bring that back. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Doc, let me let me give you another interesting uh, little take. Right. So I told you we work with uh, adult uh, addict addicts and some teenagers. Right. Well, you know, you have your your weekly meeting. Uh, the one thing that is never absent from the, the weekly meeting is something with a lot of sugar, sugar <laughs> and cigarettes and, and some of the other and AA is the same way. And, uh, uh, narcotics anonymous. It's always a bunch of sugar, always cigarettes. Uh, one of the things we did, we did, uh, differently and which caused all sorts of, uh, uh, conniption fit for people is that you couldn't have sugar. <laughs> and it, and what they didn't what guys didn't get was we're trying to get you to break this addiction cycle your addiction mentality mm-hmm. but what what other other people did in those sessions other places it's like okay this is a substitute for your alcohol or your drug addiction and it, it fed something in their brain that they needed right you know that pleasure that reward mm-hmm. and, oh, <laughs> no but i it's it's still it's it's still uh, fascinating me. It fascinates me in all those years how the brain is just completely rewired, even on the behavior that, that addicts and addicts have. A lot of that behavior is related to what happens in their brains. And one of the things, uh, even, I, I tell you, it's the simple stuff we did. We tell guys you can't smoke, uh, and it, and they would. And our meetings were cut to like forty minutes, but they couldn't smoke. And then the t- test was see if you can make it to your car and home without putting a cigarette in your mouth. Now, we literally had people who would grab pencils and pens and hold them like this in their hands. If they had some in their hands, they, 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 they fared, fared better. So if the one connect, uh, addiction connects something else, comes something else, as you said, it's a whole sort of a lifestyle and brain sort of uh, transformation takes place. It is a lifestyle of inter and codependence. Mm. And uh, what what fascinates me is how these addictions pile up on each other. Yes. You yes. just mentioned, uh, I don't know if it was a Narcotics Anonymous or an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, mm-hmm. but they're all eating cookies and they're smoking cigarettes. <laughs> it's just like it. you're compounding the process. <laughs> coffee. Don't they always have coffee? I feel like every always. day. Always. Always. Yeah. At night, they always. have <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you should work with senior adults. I mean, every time they get together, <laughs> Paul, what about potlucks? Goodness. Okay. And they all want hey, to hey, eat their hey, favorite hey. thing. You guys are you guys are Baptist pastors. I'd never been to a Baptist church until here. And we I know Ron's like, don't do it. We go to a Baptist church. Um, there are more sweets than anything at every Baptist meal. And they're 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 good. It was real good. I think about that I'm one, reformed, Steph, though. You know, 
more sweet, more, sweet more carbs. Yeah. More carbs. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The more that you try to repent and, and ask for forgiveness, <laughs> the more sugar you need. Is that, is that the counterbalance? Well, I just gotta—I gotta tell you guys, I'm gonna go out and burn all my candy cigarettes. You really can. <laughs> That's, That's the end of that. Yeah. They actually burn pretty cool. Yeah. Cool well, yeah, they do. Yeah. 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 Sure. You like <laughs> Doctor Buckingham? I, I, I have a question for you. Uh, early on, when you first started, you talked about addiction can really start. Uh, inter inter uterine, right? Utero, yes. Yeah, inter utero. Thank you. Um, it is do in your opinion, do people have or do they develop an addictive personality? In other words, my my question is, if they're if they're predisposed. Um, is there something about the personality of the person that would be, that would trigger some thoughts about the possibility of them becoming addicted at some point? Is, is that a clear question? You raise a very good question. So let's assume for a moment, uh, the brain of an infant is much more plastic than the brain of say you or, or me. Um, we're kind of set in our ways. Uh, but the the brain of an infant actually has the capacity more so than anyone else to actually not only reverse the addiction, but to re uh, let's say redevelop uh, nerve axons and dendrites in ways and means that will be helpful towards a, uh, a more complete personality and, less reliability or less risk for anxiety, depression, bipolar, and psychosis. Those are the problems that I see with addic uh, addictions where, the, where they're persistent, where they just keep going on. When you take a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old kid, and they're already hooked on two or three different substances, the likelihood of that kid becoming bipolar, depressed, or schizophrenic goes through the roof. Right. It goes right. through the roof. Mm -hmm. And so when you say, is there an addictive personality? I got to tell you something. The most vulnerable period in our life is that adolescent period. Mm -hmm. When you start getting into these polychemicals, mm -hmm. uh, that's a very, very dangerous place. And yes, you, uh, the, the outcomes to these people are, it's very bleak. It's actually not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that brings up another issue. Uh, you know, we had mentioned fentanyl. Uh, one of the uh, unique things about fentanyl that's coming into the country illegally is that uh, a lot of it, at least I, if I can believe the folks who are working it, intervention, interdiction rather, uh, they're shocked early on when they start noticing the rainbow colors and the candy looking and the sweet tart uh, formation of the drug. Uh, and they tend to think that it is designed that way for children and adolescents. What, what do you what do you think? That that's a wicked I I mean a wicked idea to me. Well, uh, what about that uh, sugar coated? Uh, what is that e cigarette? What about that? It's right, the same right. idea. It's okay, the same. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's appealing to kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As is 
what you're discussing right now with fentanyl. This yeah. is actually very, very disgusting and dangerous stuff, but yeah. it's true. Yeah. Uh, I think the drug mm. cartels are catering to the young people. They're, they are trying to get them hooked and addicted. They know that they're, they're, once they've got them, they've got them. Yeah. And so uh, it's a, it's a, one of these very serious and tragic things, but it, it's, it's even in the legal business of e-cigarettes. I mean, you've got all sorts of candy and sugar in there that's yeah. uh, coupled with the, with the menthol and the, yeah. uh, and the nicotine. I mean, it's polychemical. It's mm. polychemical. Wow. So uh, uh, what I'm driving at though is, and this is important. Let's say you start smoking marijuana in your late twenties or early thirties. The likelihood of that marijuana going into a polychemical process that would lead to schizophrenia or by it's less likely than when you start in your teens, when you start in your like 13, 14, 15 or 12 or 11, when you start doing polychemicals at those ages, uh, the outcome the long-term outcome in these people uh, is not good. They almost always are going to re- they're going to they're going to be hooked on something. They're probably going to be on an antidepressant, and there's going to be some type of dysfunction uh, in their life. Th- this is the sad s- side of it. And the, there are for for every one or two or three for every one or two or three kids that seem to be able to lick it mm-hmm. and have gotten the right kind of support at home or at church, where they have been able to actually retool their brains to to a more healthy uh, alternative you've got seven eight seventy to eight or nine or ten of the others that simply don't have those tools or resources or they have not been able to find the the necessary long-term venues to get them in the in the right path amen we actually what you are describing we have in our family so that we have seen that happen And I just want to implore parents. I think a lot of times we think that the junior high kind of time period is the most intense and to pay attention. I would say it continues all the way through high school. Your kids are not adults. They need you. They need boundaries. They need to know this is a faith issue too. They're not prepared to go. They, some of them may be able to um, disciple for the Lord, but a lot of them are not developed enough yet. They still need you to love on them and protect them. And this is a great example as to why, because one silly decision with their friends, because they weren't supervised could yes. do a whole lifetime of mess for them when God has very significant purpose for them. Mm. Yeah, I would, I would argue it's, it's really probably older than that because the American Pediatric Association probably a year and a half ago came out with a paper that said American males are adolescents at the age of 24. Right. Mm. Yeah. 24. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's one we discovered back uh, when we were dealing with uh, at-risk kids and drug use, uh, because the, the, and the thinking then was that we, you know, really need to focus on the high school kids, and because you know that's when they get get involved in drugs. But this is back in probably the late '90s. The average uh, boy started using marijuana or some illicit drug at 13 or 14. There you go. And I mean, it, it was they were that's well into drug use by the time they got to high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's that's one of the things that you know, when you mentioned the middle school, I think the parents really really aren't don't have a clue about that. 
they assume their kids have to be more protected when they get to high school. But it's it's far far uh, far sooner than that. And I know for a fact in some urban areas, uh, now I live in Milwaukee in particular, uh, it starts in elementary school. Yeah. Well, the problem here is 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 that the these young brains, mm-hmm. when they get hooked on these poly, by the way, it destroys their life. Yeah. Uh, their grades go down. They withdraw from school. Yeah. Many of these kids start developing delusional behavior, bipolar yeah. behavior. Uh, they have chronic anxiety, and of course, they don't feel good about themselves at all. Right. right. So uh, this is this is. This is this is the modern world, and uh, this is this is actually where the trenches are now. Yeah. Hey, Doc, right. Doc, can, I, can I add another one? One other one to that uh, thing that they develop, mm-hmm. especially now, uh, kids isolate, and mm-hmm. the kids who are involved in drugs and illicit uh, activity, they isolate even more. Uh, you know, which which again feeds into the, all those uh, emotional and psychological problems, especially now with gamers and, and electronic uh, exactly. communications. Um, they lack uh, social skills in the first place. And this just put, drug use and other things puts it on the steroids. Um, you, you, you got, I constantly have parents all of a sudden they're, they're, they're 12 or 13 year old is wearing weird clothes. You know, they don't have any friends. They want to, they won't go outside. They yeah. come home and stay in their room for hours and hours and end, yeah. and they don't talk to us anymore. So that's yeah. another one also to add, add to that, that group of, of craziness. You're absolutely yeah. right. And by the way, uh, I love love the work you're doing right now. Um, listen, young men in our culture right now are suffering greatly. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. The likes of which I haven't seen ever. Yes. Uh, there's a, and I don't, I don't even care if they if if they if they appear to be successful, they're suffering. Yes. And uh, I, this work that you're doing right now, yeoman. Yeoman stuff. I mean, this has to come to the forefront much more because our, our young men are, are there. I think they're in much deeper trouble than we've identified. A, a whole lot deeper, a whole lot deeper. Uh, we, we have a, in our, our, our training, we try to get, get churches and leaders to think of that. Uh, you have these, what we call these hurting men. And I don't care, like, as you said, I don't care if they're the CEO of a fortune 500 company or a guy at a garbage can. They're hurting. Uh, and unfortunately, we have sort of dropped the ball probably 50 years ago and 40 has gotten worse. You know, you, you could look back about the around the radical 60s and early 70s. The church checked out. It just completely checked out and, and sort of closed itself off and reformed itself. And unfortunately, we left men in the, in, in the, in the rut and they've never learned how to actually live purposely as men and identity as men and in Christ. Uh, so it's like trial and error. So if you go back from the, 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 the teenagers of the eighties or well, the seventies and eighties, well, they're now parent, they're my grandparents. So they, they didn't know they didn't teach their sons and their sons didn't teach their sons. And here we are now with 70% of all the kids that grew up in, in a Christian home and church leave their Christian faith by the time they get to college, first year college. And they're leaving the church in droves and no one and people don't get it. It's completely irrelevant to them. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. And those little kids that are experimenting using drugs are those those kids and grandkids of those men who are hurting. They have no clue. 
I um I I, I got to tell you something out here in California, seventy percent of college of college age people are now women. Thirty percent are men, and the yes. percentage is going down every yes. single year. Yes. it mm-hmm. hasn't turned yet. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I in my business, you, the young doctors are almost all women. The yes. young surgeons are almost all. I I just don't see men in this business anymore that are young. So uh, it's it's dramatic, and your ministry uh, is hitting on a nerve. By the way, I love the fact that women have have found themselves in our culture. They're 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 really developing dramatically, mm-hmm. but our men are suffering terribly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've got to figure out a way of getting them back on on the in the right direction. We're trying. <laughs> well, amen. Keep it up. Keep it up. There's there's an old, old Spanish proverb that's so true today. And it says, there is no home without its hush. And I think families are hurting specifically what you what you're sharing now, Ron, Doc, all, everybody is just it's where they are. And uh, what we need to pray, we need to fight, like Steph said a week or two ago about yeah. taking back our schools, taking back our families and standing strong and and realizing that, uh, you know, when you look a child in the eye somewhere and they won't even look up at you and you say hello, um, we need we need a lot of prayer and a lot of time, a lot of work. And ladies and gentlemen, also quickly, that, that leads us to say the whole point of what we try to do in raising expectations is, number one, to bring you faith. God knows what's going on. There's no surprises in heaven, only plans. He knows what's going on. And like Doc has said, we need to go to higher power on this, and we need to, to trust in him. And we hope we encourage you each week. We hope we encourage you, because that's the reason we're here. Stephanie, would you like to share a word at this point? Uh, you know, right there real quick. We uh, This is why we're here, and this is what we're doing quickly. Absolutely. We gather together, and truly we volunteer our time because we want to serve you, and we want to reach you. And that does take money. So we appreciate donations. Maybe it's for going a Starbucks or a lunch or whatever and giving a donation. Uh, It does take money to be on the air. And we're able to reach hundreds and hundreds of radio stations. We're on all these platforms now. So what you are doing is working. So if what we share resonates with you, if you are in agreement, we, first of all, love to hear from you. You can always reach out to Pastor Joe. And we have instructions right here on our website which you can find at bbsradio.com forward slash raising expectations. And you'll see we have a donation button right there at the top left. And some people have a hard time figuring it out. There's instructions. And if nothing else works, send an email. We'll help you. Um, we, We love this community. And it's an honor to be here and be able to speak and to provide good content and information to you. So we just thank you in advance for um, what you are doing to help this project. From the bottom of our hearts, amen. Thank you for helping us. Anything you can do. God bless you for that. Uh, We've got about uh, three minutes. Who's got a, do you have any question you want to ask Doc? And Doc, thanks again. After your first Monday, my goodness, coming back and meeting the team. You're just part of our family, sir. We appreciate you and love Uh, you. You're a blessing to me, your group. This is like coming home. Every time I'm with you folks, I'm coming home. And uh, I, I I just want to say that there is hope for the addiction people, but we have to be much more conscious as parents, as loved ones, 
uh, and people in the church, we have to be more communicative with, uh, with our young people, yes. making sure that we're, we're honest and open and responsive and loving and caring to these kids. Very, very important. Amen. 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 Ron, got a final thought, brother? Got, got a minute here? Yeah, yeah, we're praying. Can't say it any better. <laughs> and we're we're praying okay. for Ron. So, so the, the, the mic drop at the beginning was that Dr. Buckingham has closed his practice. So my question to you, sir, is what's your exit plan? Because you have such an active brain, spirit, <laughs> soul. You that was be, just I today. Kind of plan of what you're going to be doing. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not. not second half looks like a minute or less. Yeah. No, yeah, I said that wrong. Yeah, he's oh. not close he's back. He's just holiday. shutting down for the day at six. That was oh, my error. error. I'm apologizing. I thought bad. the same my thing. Bad. I thought my the bad. same thing, but then you said I'm you so had a sorry. day at work, and I was like, "You need a sick." <laughs> hey, Doc, I'm coming in to see you. Help me with that memory, would you? I know you could take care of it. <laughs> yeah, good question, Tank. Good question. <laughs> hey, listen, I love love you guys, and God bless you all. God bless you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You got 30 I, I, seconds, Paul. You got a quick question? Yeah, I sure would like to have you back, Dr. Buckingham. I, there are uh, other areas to explore and uh, uh, just questions like, how, you know, how do you help someone with an addiction? And what if they don't want help? Uh, the questions like that. And, and also, uh, I'd kind of like to explore the idea of the difference, if there is a difference, between substance and behavioral addiction. We've got things like YouTube and TikTok and on and on and on and on. Well, there's uh, there's there's gambling, there's porn. Yeah. There's just as devastating. You bet. Yeah. So, it's, all yeah. On. Yeah. it's all on there. Well, with your permission, sir, we'll have you back. We'll be calling you real quick here. I'll get back to you and uh, I'll see you. Listen, we'll, do, we'll do addiction 2.0. 2.0. Okay, good. We'll get a ball cap for it. That'll be good. All right. All right. All right, everybody. God bless you. I love you guys. And uh, everybody tuning in tonight. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. You are our family. You're in our prayers. God bless you. Keep the faith. Look up. Know that God's working in all of this. He's only a prayer away, and he's got the strength you need for every single day. God bless you. On behalf of the team, see you next week. Bye-bye. Love you guys. Love you, guys. Friends, thanks for joining us on this week's program of Raising Expectations. We profoundly hope you found it engaging and at times humorous, but most of all, uplifting, so that we may, with you, one topic at a time each week, become more encouraged to move forward to an exciting future in, as we always say, this thing called life in America today. So let not your hearts be troubled, your family, finances, faith, freedom, It can be a great future as we talk, listen, respect, and pull together. Please let me hear from you. You can reach me at 972-922-8556. That's 972-922-8556 or Joe Schofield on Facebook or LinkedIn. It'd be a pleasure to know you and we hope you'll listen in again next week on the BBS Radio Network.